Please listen carefully. Welcome to Autism in the Wild, the show that talks about what it's really like living with autism. Here are your hosts, Noah and Chris. All right, welcome to another episode of Autism in the Wild. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Noah. And today we have guests with us, uh, Dr. Paul. Welcome, and why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks. I'm glad to be here. So I'm uh, Dr. Paul Condit, and I'm a clinical psychologist. I run a small practice here in lovely Cedar Falls uh, with my wife, Dr. Christy. And I'm glad to be here this morning. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Really excited to have you on the show. I know you've been a, a good supporter of us, helping to share the podcast with some of the people you connect with, so appreciate that. That's good stuff. Keep yeah. it up. <laughs> yeah, so we, we kind of had a little lull in in some episodes, partly due because of school schedules. Yeah, yeah we're busy. Yeah, and then holidays, mm-hmm. but um, you know, we, we have some really, I think, really awesome guests, including yourself, coming up here, so we're very excited about having you on. Thanks. Yeah. All right, so let's get a little bit of background. My first question is, what got you interested in becoming a psychologist? My first life was as a computer programmer, and I don't know how far back you go, Chris, but um, I was actually a COBOL programmer. Yeah, I've done COBOL before. Okay, um, thankfully we left that behind. Um, I don't do programming anymore, and I worked for about five years in corporate America, and the link between being a computer programmer and what I do now is I really like to help people solve problems. Mm-hmm. I really like to be helpful. That's my mission in life. I got tired of using machines to do it. And I'm not a real big fan of the corporate America either. So I uh, found myself going back to graduate school to become a psychologist. Okay. So what, what made you think you wanted to become a psychologist? I've always been interested in what makes people tick. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Well, the combination of that and wanting to help people seems like a good path. And it's been a lot of fun so far. It really yeah. has. Been yeah. doing about twenty years. Nice. So, what got you interested? Well, what got you into working with people on the spectrum then? In nineteen ninety-seven and ninety-eight, I was doing my psychology doctoral internship at uh, Texas Tech University in Lubbock, Texas which is where I completed my management information systems degree 10 years prior to that. So I found myself back out on the dusty plains of West Texas. One of the rotations that I had was at an off-site place where, similar to what we call the AEA here. And I had a supervisor who said, hey Paul, you need to learn about this thing called Asperger's Syndrome. So sure, I'm open to anything. And so I started learning about Asperger's Syndrome, and she started my training, and I haven't looked back since. Cool. What kinds of things did you, did you do to learn? The initial stuff was uh, working on the, in a social skills group, and we got to work with other graduate students. So that was a joy, being able to interact with kids, well, kids, we were students, um, that were pursuing different disciplines, but we still wanted to work with people on the autism spectrum. And in doing the research into the history of the development of autism in the United States, that was actually relatively early on mm-hmm. in the late 90s. Yeah. Um, let's see. 
how do you as a person relate to autism? Interesting question. The I've developed this obviously over time and I'd like to say that what I enjoy about it and hopefully I'm kind of good at is I tend to try to accept people at face value and try not to make too many assumptions about what's going on with you. And as y'all know with the vast individual differences that occur in people who are on the autism spectrum, um, that ends up being a very useful attitude to have. That don't assume that everybody's the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I w- we like to talk about assume competence. That's a. I just ran across that concept recently. I love it. Yeah, you know, like I think about Isaac, and you know, kids that don't speak like Isaac. I mean, he he can say things, but he's mostly nonverbal. That doesn't mean he doesn't know what's going on. He, he understands what's going on. He just doesn't have maybe the tools to express it the way that other people do. Sure, I often explain that I don't even like calling autism a disorder. Um, I like reading it as a category that helps us to understand and explain behaviors, emotions, sensations, thought mm-hmm. processes. But with any trait that a person has, it can be a real strength in some situations and the exact same trait can be a weakness in a different situation. Mm-hmm. And that's very pronounced with people on the autism spectrum. Yeah, They may have difficulty changing tasks because they're so detail-oriented. But man, when you need detail orientation, it's right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And Isaac has been working... They, um, with the school, they, they've been taking them to different businesses in the community and working like one afternoon a week. And they only have to show him one or two, I think once or twice, and he gets it and he loves it. Awesome. He, yeah. So I definitely see that. And, and one of our guests, Mike, I don't know if you've heard. I know Mike. Yeah. He talked about some of what you were just saying, Paul, about um, just really being able to focus on a job and a task and having the supports in place and then he can he's thriving in that that job right now what are some of the what are some of the challenges of working with people with autism and their families stuff like that as y'all are aware the challenges are multiple (laughs) and in my mission statement I did try to help people um, embrace the blessings that go with autism while they try to navigate the challenges because it's all there. So honestly, trying to come up with a list of the top five or the top ten is pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. One common challenge, though, and even for me as a, a therapist, is being able to point people to the most useful resources. We're really trying. It's getting better in our community, but we're really trying to beef that up. And they can be difficult to find the different supports and resources mm-hmm. and opportunities that you need. Um, that all families need. So that's been uh, one of the common challenges. Then others are, as a psychologist, people often come to see you when they're not doing very well. They tend to be in crisis. And so it's always difficult to try to help raise them up out of that crisis Mm -hmm. and then get to a more stable level. Um, It's rewarding when you can do that, but it it definitely is a challenge. Mm -hmm. When you're working with a person on the spectrum, how do you help the family 
I mean, do you also work with the family, or do you work mostly with that individual? Great question. Honestly, what I'm best at is educating the family. I've learned how to put these pretty complicated <laughs> concepts into uh, everyday language, mm-hmm. and that's very helpful for a lot of families. And then helping them to know where to push and where just to accept that this is the way it is, I think is very helpful. With the individuals um, who have the autistic traits, um, one of the things I think they enjoy about working with me is I do try to presume that competence, but also just that I get them. Mm-hmm. That if they have trouble looking at me while I'm talking to them, that doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas they'll get a lot of feedback from teachers and whatnot. You need to look me in the eye. No, it's not that important in my office. It's okay. Yeah. We'll focus on other things. Right. Yeah, I've heard a lot from um, just over the years, people I've known that trying to look someone in the eye and being able to focus and on what's being said is, is too overwhelming. Like it's mm-hmm. just, they just can't do that. If they want to be able to listen, the, the sensory input of eye contact mm-hmm. is too much. Yeah. Um, and that's just for people on the spectrum. And I know other people that, they don't. They look like they're looking you in the eye, but they're actually not looking at you in the eye. And they do that on purpose so they can can hear that. So I never see that as a negative. I know some people do, but uh, yeah. Isaac is really good at eye contact. Mm. But he wasn't always that way. But he's comfortable with that now. Mm-hmm. I know if I have to think hard about something, I definitely look down. Yeah. So there's less to process. It frees up more mm-hmm. of my brain to be right. able to really work on what I'm thinking. Right. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I, and that's a perfect example of what we're trying to say here. How has all of your experiences with autism and Asperger's and stuff, how has that changed you as a person? Great question. It's one of those, it's a difficult question to answer in the sense that it's gradual and it's mm-hmm. ongoing. Mm-hmm. I've definitely learned that uh, we all have traits. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's actually helped me learn more about myself. Mm-hmm. Why do I get overwhelmed in certain situations? Why do I like certain types of logic? It just makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And those are probably be the, the two biggest examples I could come up with. Mm-hmm. When would a family look to someone like you in their community as a resource to help help them out? What are some of the maybe challenges or are there certain types of you know, autism that can be helped more than other types? That's a, a great question, Chris. And honestly, as a profession, we're still working pretty hard at trying to come up with better answers for that. Mm-hmm. To come see me, often, number one, the family wants to know why does my kid act this way? Why does my kid think this way? Why is this hard for them? Why are they always focused on this kind of thing? And so I can help them explain those types of questions. Having a diagnosis can help open up other avenues of services and accommodations at school. So that can be a pretty useful piece of what we can provide Mm -hmm. um, out of our office. To actually get into my office, though, often the family... um, is struggling with certain behaviors or emotional outbursts, you know, things that's just difficult to deal with. Yeah. So I try to give them some guidance on that and 
help them maybe redesign their environment a little bit so it's not so overstimulating or limit the amount of demands that are placed um, when a person may be kind of overwhelmed. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And, and I saw, uh, I was reading a little bit up on your website and you talk about that you try to put a team in place with with um, with each person you're working with. Can you maybe maybe talk about what that team might look like? Well, ideally we have more uh, team members in our office, if I can do a shameless self-promotion here. We are hiring uh, for people that are trained. Uh, I would love to have like an occupational therapist uh, come work with us because um, they tend to be pretty good at helping with sensory integration. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand it from the scientific and the biological standpoint. I don't have the training to actually work directly sure. with it. And it takes a village, uh, is an old African proverb, and I truly believe in that. I often point people towards people who have been a guest on your program, such as Greta. Mm. And there's this cool thing going on in the community. This will provide social opportunities. It will provide an opportunity to feel good about yourself. Um, maybe get out of the house a little bit in an area. Even, just things like that. Yeah. And try to point them to those different resources that we do have yeah yeah that makes sense and you know with our with our guys when they were little we had a team that was comprised of people through the school system you know we had the school psychologist we had a social worker we had ot and pt well some of that stuff we did outside the school but right they had we had a little bit of that so yeah we definitely had uh, a team approach to to working with our Kids. So you could be, you could, have you seen where you're just ex- part of that extended team from the school too? Honestly, I would like to be able to work more directly with the school, but given the busyness of all of our schedules, it makes it difficult okay. playing phone tag and trying to reach the meetings. Yeah. Um, but I'd always enjoy being able to collaborate with other people because I r- realize that I'm not in the room. So I'm I'm not seeing what's actually happening on right. the front line, and so having somebody who can be in the room is extremely valuable. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so maybe you can share an example of a success story of, of someone you've worked with. I'd be more than happy to. So I have a family comes in with a relatively young child, uh, let's say early elementary, and. Number one, we start off by explaining, okay, this is how this child can be overstimulated with certain sensory types of um, input, or too much sensory input. Um, Here are the things that might be calming. And so this particular family that I'm thinking of, um, this little guy has a backpack, Mm -hmm. and he'll have, I think, like a stuffed animal, uh, something that he can do with his fingers in there, and then perhaps even like a pair of earmuffs to block out some of the sound. Sure. And he carries it with him, and that helps him with that anxiety that goes along with the overstimulation. Recently, I was able to remind them that utilizing a visual schedule, helping their little guy know what's going to happen and when, is very helpful for them. Mm-hmm. And so giving them those tools, and then the success comes in the parents being able to actually implement those things. Right. 
but then the child in this case was able to benefit from that and generally is uh, calmer and happier mm-hmm. and really able to focus on the things that help him to grow as a person yeah yeah that makes sense and it kind of goes back to my question before about the the family you know you're working with the individual but really if it's a younger person the family really needs to know have have some advice or some direction as to what what the expectations are to help that person Uh, one thing we found with Diana and I have we always try to get on the same page in terms of what we're going to do or not do. And because if you're not on the same page as parents, really with anything, but um, then that can cause problems if one person does it one way <laughs> and then it's done in a different way. And that could be really confusing. And speaking as a parent, uh, these guys tend to be get, get kind of skilled at dividing and conquering. <laughs> Noah, are you taking notes there? I'm, I'm trying to process what he just said there. But. <laughs> Not that I know this from our house. But yeah, <laughs> it, it's occurred a couple of different times. I'm sure. I think we see that more when maybe with our youngest on that one. Yeah, it's funny. Do you want to ask a question now about the advice? Um, sure. Um, what advice would you give educators about working with people on the spectrum? Number one, remember the adage. Keep it in the front of your mind that if you've seen one person on the spectrum, you've seen one. And some of the worst stories that I hear involve an educator, or perhaps another professional, it doesn't have to be just educators, that think that, well, they've seen this person with autism and this particular intervention worked, therefore it should work with every single person with autism. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all individuals. Right. And need to be treated as such. So number one, keep that in the front of your mind. Number two, as you said earlier, Chris, uh, presume competence. Mm -hmm. Number three, always keep learning. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What what are some, maybe some of the ways that people could, educators or professionals could continue their learning? Well, certainly reading articles. um, I've done extensive training myself in actually going to workshops. Okay. Um, That gets expensive, um, but it's been very valuable education. Mm -hmm. And then interacting with other professionals who work with folks on the autism spectrum is extremely helpful. Yeah. Because everybody has a different perspective, and um, if we put them all into the mix together, mm-hmm. um, they can help our understanding. Yeah, we do that with our with our, my profession. We have different groups that get together and talk about what's working, what's not working, and that, that's I know that people from my team find that very valuable. When you can, you have to kind of get out of your bubble and go talk to other people and see what they're doing. And you can, they can learn from you, and you can learn from them for sure. That's what what we've seen. Yeah, we all have something to teach each other, and we all have something to learn. Mm-hmm. Probably focus more on the learn part. I always have mm-hmm. something to learn for sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, what advice then? Uh, switching over to uh, a parent, what kind of advice would you have for a parent who may, may be thinking about working with someone like you, or is working with? Uh, a doctor. I give this advice to everybody, including the person that I see in the mirror each morning, is uh, smart people ask for help. 
And don't expect to go this alone. And if you have questions, then find somebody who can help you find those answers. Mm -hmm. And hopefully in some cases that's somebody like me. It's not always me. So get that help that you need would be the number one piece of advice. The number two, I know you talked about this um, in some of your comments on the podcast, that getting some respite yeah. is key. And that's very difficult for a lot of the families that I work with. Parenting is not easy. We all need a break. Yeah. And when you have certain types of emotional and sensory challenges, that can make it that much more difficult. Mm -hmm. And so find somebody to help give you a break. Probably giving your kid a break, too. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And even... I. Just as a as a husband, I can be if I'm have a time with Tyann, Like we have respite nights on Tuesday, and we try to make those day nights. So that doesn't happen every week, but we try to do something together during that time. And you have to work on a marriage. Obviously, um, it's not easy, but it's really important to make sure you spend the time with your spouse, so that you can be better parents, and then then you'll be better for your kids. And being away from the kids is also good for the kids too. Yeah, to be around other people. You guys get tired of us, I'm sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I didn't even hesitate with that <laughs> comment. Yeah. Yeah, and then as a sibling's perspective, what do you think about the advice for the respite care? Um. What do you mean? Like getting a break from Isaac. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that helps. So helps a lot. What, what kind of help does that give you? It kind of it gives me more like it gives me more breathing room. I think it's the best way to describe it because Isaac is really controlling about a lot of things because he has a routine that he wants to stay that he wants to stay consistent throughout, and it gets in the way of some things I want to do and stuff. Like I work on stuff a lot when he's gone because it's just easier to, you know. My mom does the same thing as well, like with laundry, I know, because my brother controls laundry at my house, so he, so that's when my mom does a lot of stuff with that, is either when he's at school or like when he's on respite or whatever. Yeah, so it's important for the whole family, not just, I guess, the parents, too. One attitude that can hang us all up when we have somebody who has certain types of needs is as a parent, we may feel some pressure that if I truly love my child, I should be able to do all of this. Um, that's unrealistic pressure to be putting on yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I love what you said about smart people ask for help. I love that. Uh, you know, we, we, you can, as a parent, we researched, we've tried to learn as, as much as we could early on, but we knew, we, we didn't, I don't think I thought about it from that perspective, but we knew we needed to, to involve people that knew how to help our kids yeah even professionally uh, I know I don't know everything so I know I have to reach out for help even though I'm a little stubborn about that at times <laughs> um, I think a lot of a lot of people are uh, I don't know what it is about asking for help that some people have trouble with I could tell a long story about uh, trying to change the brakes on my own car. Um, it did not involve sheet metal damage, so uh, at least we got that going for us. But the tow truck into the 
repair shop was rather was more expensive than what it would have cost me to just have them yeah. do it in the first place. Yes, I think we've all been smart. There. People ask for help. Yeah, yeah. I can do some handy work around the house, but when it comes to electrical stuff, I I, I don't touch that. Yeah, I know that's shocking to hear, Noah. But all right, <laughs> Noah, you have another question. I asked about educators. Um, what advice would you give parents about living with and working with kids on the spectrum? In addition to what we were just talking about, is get some help. Learn how not to take things too personally. That certain types of emotional outbursts from any child who lives in your house is probably largely about them, even though it may be directed at you. Mm-hmm. And being able to keep that perspective in mind is very helpful to keep us as parents from overreacting or matching the same level or sinking down to their level. Um, Getting sucked into those arguments um, is a disaster for everybody involved. So remember, this is not so much about you as a parent. Mm -hmm. I think that's great advice. The calmer you can be in responding to things, the better. And I, I would say, too, if you're out in the public, out in the wild, um, with your child and they have an outburst, there's always that pressure of what other people are, are, are judging you and, and watching. I think the best thing I've done is just to remain calm and either not say anything to anybody or smile at them or actually tell them what's going on. Yeah, it doesn't really work unless someone's being an actual jerk. Um, I might, I'll stand up for my kid, but I'm not gonna try to create a scene just <laughs> in that scenario. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give people with autism? I think, number one, I would encourage you as I would with anybody, get to know yourself know what your particular challenges are and what kind of help you need what kind of accommodations do you need one of the supposed controversies in being a professional who works with these families is do you number one disclose to the person that yeah they do have a lot of traits of autism and in certain situations you may need to disclose that And that can be a very difficult decision to make, but it's very important for all of us to be able to advocate for ourselves Mm -hmm. and to ask for what we need. As you get to know yourself and say, okay, if you give me this, then I can give this back to you, it becomes a collaborative experience rather than a demanding experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are there some ways or tools or ways for people to figure out what works well, the areas where they need help? You know, how do you, they go through that process of identifying the areas in which they could reach out for help? I would say when I work with folks, there's not a specific, you know, one, two, three step yeah. process. But we can guide some conversation and questioning that would help you. If you're in this situation, do you feel overwhelmed? When you feel overwhelmed, where do you feel it in your body? What's going on in your head? And develop that sort of a process and then we can identify, hopefully, some workarounds. Yeah. I think a lot of times in, in, in um, thinking about Noah going off to college next year, you know, yeah, Woo. Uh, 
Diana and I, we've been thinking through, we've been thinking through some of the areas where you might need some mm-hmm. um, help, Noah, but that'll be good for, maybe a good practice for you to think about too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that can be very difficult because none of us wants to stand out as being different. Yeah. And so going to a professor and saying, I need to be able to see your notes because I don't process real well just listening to things. I mean, that can be pretty intimidating for a lot of students. Yeah. And that's just one example. Um, if you live in the dorm, mm-hmm. um, any of us who have lived in the dorm can tell you, you know, war stories. Mm-hmm. And what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, usually, <laughs> as long as it doesn't kill you. And I have several, and this was 30 years ago. I still got those stories. I could just recount oh, yeah. it like that. Mm-hmm. And if you have some specific sensory challenges or maybe needing things to be in a certain place and your roommate moves that, you got to figure out how to navigate that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy. Yeah, we were, we were visiting a couple of colleges and... Uh, mm-hmm. At their last visit, um, there was a parent Q&A, and then the students were in there. So yeah, I was somewhere else. You were somewhere else doing music stuff, I think. Probably, yeah. yeah. But someone, um, they were talking about dorm life, and they actually said after, the, they have they manually, this one college actually manually matches people based off of a questionnaire. They tried doing the computer thing, but they actually went back to a more manual thing, and they've had really good luck, but after a certain period of time, they they actually have their roommates talk to each other, and and if there are things like you you're using my soap, I don't know what it would be, just simple things. They talk through that, and then they have like a um, a contract, a roommate contract that they sign. So, but those those are really can be really challenging things to do when you're 18 years old, you know, or even older. I mean, it's it's challenging to do maybe with a coworker if they're doing something that's set you off you know how do you how do you approach that so I think there are some techniques and tools people can learn on how to approach the discussion of that so it's identifying that's a problem and then I think even harder for like someone like like me in some cases is how do you how do you talk about this with people without it getting to be a big thing it's difficult and that may be an area where you ask for help yeah like in the dorm, that's part of what your resident assistant, mm-hmm. that's their job, to, mm-hmm. is to help with stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Because I think some people could come across the wrong way. Whether As just demanding. Like, or demanding or whatever, and then the other person, it, it can escalate pretty quickly, I can imagine. Do you have any other thoughts or stories or anything else you'd like to include? I always like to conclude when I am giving, I appreciate this opportunity today, conclude by, again, reminding all of us that being on the autism spectrum um, has some challenges. There's no question about it, but there's so many things about it that can be really cool. And I know that doing things like presuming competence or being able to dive into whatever topic the person may know a whole lot about, um, it can enrich all of us. Mm-hmm. And we certainly know that people with certain skill sets, if their interest is in, uh, say, a certain science or a technology, they can turn that into a superpower. Yeah. And those of us who don't have that superpower 
can not only appreciate that, but maybe we can then turn to them for help. Mm-hmm. So it's um, we're all in this world together, and I think that we, with our unique traits and challenges, we all have something to add. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And it's just a matter of, of recognize a person as a person. Everyone's a person, and every, everyone has strengths and weaknesses um, and ability to always learn and that's, that's part of the reason why we're doing this podcast is to um, try to share different perspectives about autism and, and just life in general so well again I appreciate y'all having me on today uh, this has been a joy for me yeah. I love being able to talk a little bit about what I do um, because it's such a cool community to be part of. Mm-hmm. I know with some of your other guests, you know, what have you gotten to do that was maybe because you were involved in this community? And there's a lot of really cool stuff, yeah. and it's it's a it's a joy to be part of that. Yeah, we feel real blessed to be in this community. Um, the university, being here in town, has, um, has opened up a lot of doors for our family. And I know that not everyone has that opportunity, but there are, I think, opportunities in most every community if you if you look. So, all right. Anything else, Noah? Nope. All right. Well, thanks, Dr. Paul, for being here. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. I want to thank Dr. Paul for joining us on this podcast. Really appreciate his insights and his advice. Thought that that was really good. Hope you also enjoyed that. You can take something away from from this discussion. You know, what's really cool about this podcast is for us is that people do reach out to us and give us comments, and the feedback is wonderful. Kind of keeps us motivated and going. And if you have someone that you think would be a great guest for the show, reach out and let us know. To do that, you can go to our website at autisminthewild.com. Go to the contact section and and send us a message. And as always, thanks for listening.